Good morning. I wanted to start this morning by just saying uh, thank you. Uh, I got a lot of really sweet uh, birthday wishes from you last Sunday. And, you know, I thought I'd just share a couple of reflections and realizations I've come to as a result of turning 40. The first is uh, don't drink anything after 8 p.m. It sneaks up on you. Nobody told me. And so 60 plus, where have you been? Where is the wisdom of the ages? Number two is if I am any indication, then um, my dad was just doing the best he could too. And number three, uh, I realize on a serious note, I realize that this is the first decade of life where I'm beginning it in the exact place that I want to finish it. I realized all my other decades were ones in which I knew at the end of it I would be somewhere else, doing something different. And so I think there's something to knowing your home, to being brought to a place. And it's this church that makes it that for me. Swindle preached a sermon a couple weeks ago on Psalm 16. And it says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom I delight. And so just know that you bring that verse to life for me. And I love you all. Today we are looking at Psalm 46. We're going to spend time with the psalmist who's looking for stability in the midst of chaos. Throughout history, some of the most classic Christian works were written during the most chaotic times. There were those who wrote when uncertainty and suffering and calamity and upheaval were all around them. St. Augustine wrote the city of God while barbarian hordes were invading the empire. John Owen wrote, the death of death and the death of Christ after he'd lost ten children to plague. And Tolkien wrote down his first ideas for the Lord of the Rings sitting in the trenches of World War I. And 20 years later, he started to write the first manuscript just as Nazi Germany turned their sights on Great Britain. It was in these dark moments where a deeper search began to take place. And out of that something timeless emerged from chaotic times. I think this is one of the reasons why the Psalms are so powerful. Go ahead. Look from top to bottom. You won't find any superscript at the beginning of any Psalm that says a Psalm of David while he was vacationing on the beach. A psalm of David while he was crushing life. What you find is the opposite. A psalm of David when the life is being crushed out of him. Virtually every psalm is one where the human soul cries out to God in the midst of difficulty and hardship. But then that gets handed down to the people to sing in worship. Why? Well, how many Sundays do you show up here and everything is going great? 
How many Sundays over the last year have you shown up without a care in the world? Or on the other hand, how many Sundays have you come weighed down by all your worries? How many times is it difficult to lift your voice in praise because of your problems? How many times did you bring your anxieties with you and you were distracted by all your concerns? The Psalms teach us that worship is not about escaping your problems. Worship is about finding God in your problems. And there's a big difference between the two. That's why the Psalms are so profound. Because they invite you to draw near and to be honest. The Psalms communicate to you that whatever your worries, whatever your fears, whatever your struggles, whatever your situation, whatever darkness looms over your life, Wherever you are at, whatever you are going through, someone has been here before. You're not alone. You have a cloud of witnesses that have gone before you. They looked for God in all of the same places that you can't seem to find him. And Psalm 46 is written for those who've got some problems. Psalm 46 is written for you. This psalmist is looking for stability in the midst of his chaotic world that's been turned upside down. He describes it for us in verse 2. He says, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, He's saying that the waves have come and the water level is rising. He's not describing poetically just natural disasters. What he's doing is he's describing in ancient terms what you and I think about all the time. Water is deeply symbolic in the Psalms. And the waters is a reference to the forces of darkness that are at work in this world. To those unpredictable waves of life that just come one after the other and throw everything into chaos and uncertainty. We actually use the same exact metaphor, we just say it differently. We say when it rains, it pours. And so when he's talking about these chaotic waters swallowing mountains and the earth giving way, we know exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about how the waves of this world have swallowed up all those things that he thought were solid and stable. He's talking about his worst nightmare coming true. When the things that his life was built upon start eroding away out from underneath him, where the mountains of his life that he thought were so immovable and shakable are just swallowed up by uncertainty. He's talking about that helpless place where all you can do is watch. You watch as the water sweep away the life you knew. The life you worked so hard to protect. The life you try to control and hold on to. He's asking you what waves have hit your life. 
Maybe you just discovered a lump that you didn't know was there. Or a diagnosis that you haven't told anyone about yet. Or downsizing or layoffs at work. Or realizing that the landscape of your job has completely changed and it keeps you up at night. Or watching the health of your spouse deteriorate when they were always just so strong. You've been watching your child make all the wrong decisions that just once seemed so out of character. Maybe you're here today because you just moved here. But it doesn't feel like home. Because unexpected circumstances swept away that old life. And now you just feel like you're adrift at sea. Those are hard waves. Those are hard waves because they don't leave life the same, man. They wash away what life was before. And it makes the landscape of your life never the same again. Those are scary moments. That's why the psalmist talks about fear. It's a reality of living in a chaotic, unpredictable world where you don't know what comes next. And when we feel that fear, when we feel that water level start to rise, we look for stability. We look for stability, something to steady us and to hold on to. That's why in those moments we can cling to others to rescue us, but it only seems like it pushes them away. That's why we can cling to our vices and how those old addictions start to creep back up. We try to cling to our own resources and ingenuity to try and keep those waters at bay. So we focus on better planning, better strategy, six steps for this, seven life hacks for that. We look for stability by trying to stabilize everything around us. And we work hard to bring a sense of order back to life, but the real question is, do any of those things actually remove your fear? Do they calm the waters of your heart? In this psalm, the psalmist is looking for stability in the midst of his circumstances, but the stability that he's looking for is different. Because the stability that he's looking for leads him on a search that is informed by his faith, not his fear. And that leads him to a different posture, a different mindset, and a different conclusion about the world around him and all of the waves that he knows it's going to send his way. How so? Well, notice what he says. He says, even though the earth gives way, even though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, even though the waters rage and foam, even though my worst nightmare is coming true, I will not fear. Do you hear it? Do you hear the assumption of instability in this world? He says, even though, he assumes the waves are coming sooner or later and he can't stop them. He's accepted the fact that in this world things fall apart. 
He knows his car is going to break down at the worst possible, most inconvenient time. He knows the clock is ticking on his health. He knows his loved ones won't live forever. He knows that he lives in a world that he can't control any more than you or I could tell the sea what to do. But friends, he's not being pessimistic. He's being realistic. Because his faith has told him what? His faith has told him that this world is broken. This world is cursed. And everything in it is subjected to the entropic powers of decay. This world tears things apart. It does not put them together. He's accepted the fact that the only certainty in this world is uncertainty. And maybe there's a part of you that's like, yes, exactly. Therefore, I will be afraid. But not the psalmist. He comes to a different conclusion. He says, even though the waves are coming, I will not fear. That sounds like a fairy tale, doesn't it? Especially when we think about how much our lives are given over to worry and anxiety and fears and that pit in your stomach as you brace for the next wave. So how can we find that kind of stability that the psalmist is talking about? Well, the first thing we have to recognize is that the psalmist isn't trying to stabilize the same thing as we so often do. He's talking about a different kind of stability. Because he isn't looking to stabilize everything on the outside. He's looking for something to stabilize everything on the inside. To where even though the world is crumbling around him, he will not fear. He's saying to you, stop trying to stabilize and fix everything. Stop trying to overpower every circumstance. Stop trying to plan for every scenario. Because if you think that that's how you'll find stability in this world, then you will always be afraid because this world is too much for you. The waves just keep on coming. Instead, you can embrace the reality of the chaos waters. Because there is a stability that's available to you that can never be washed away. And you can find it in the places that you'd least expect. And the only way that you can find it is you have to be still. You have to be still. You have to give yourself permission to stop and be still. Last weekend, I watched a new documentary that came out called The Deepest Breath. It's about a woman named Alessia Zucchini, who's one of the world's uh, best freedivers. And it's a sport where they dive down without any assistance into the deepest, darkest pits in the ocean floor. 
And the preview immediately caught my attention, one, because I'd never seen anything like it, and two, it was what she said. It was what she said. It started with her floating on top of the water. She took a few deep breaths, and then she turned over, and she dove straight down. And there's a short cable that's connecting her to this small pole that goes down to mark the depths. And friends, when I say depths, we're not talking about 30 feet. We're talking about 300. And it gave me the chills. Because she turns over, she goes under the water, and you see her dive straight down into the pitch black depths. I'm like, okay, so this is a documentary about my worst nightmare. But then you hear her voice narrate over the top. She, she says she kicks her way down to a depth of 30 meters. That's over 90 feet. But at 30 meters, she doesn't have to kick anymore. Because by then, the water pressure becomes so great that it essentially creates a vacuum and it starts to pull her down. She's literally swallowed by the waters. So she stays perfectly still, deeper and deeper, all the way down to 100 meters. That is 328 feet down on one breath where her lungs are compressed to the size of her fists in the pitch black waters. But it's what she says. She says, when the water pulls you down, we call it the free fall. It's my favorite part because it feels like you're flying. It's so peaceful, like you just found the last quiet place on earth. I'm like, what? That doesn't even make sense. How is that even possible, crazy lady? That's it. I'm hooked. I hit play. When Alessia was young, she discovered Natalia Molshinova, who was the world's leading female freediver when Alessia was a child, and immediately Natalia became Alessia's hero. So Alessia started training, and by 16 years old, she was already considered a prodigy. But when she started to compete, Alessia kept getting second place time and time and time again. And for years, she could not beat the diver who kept getting first place. She got frustrated. She became known for having a huge temper. She'd push herself way too hard, but she couldn't get first place no matter how hard she tried. So Alessia came to a crossroads. So she goes back and she watches old interviews of Natalia. And she caught something that she'd missed before. Natalia said, the secret to being underwater is you have to be completely relaxed and at peace. You have to be still. 
And that was a turning point for Alessia. Because from then on, she stopped focusing on how far she could go. She stopped worrying about how all of the other divers were doing. She stopped worrying about all of the factors that she could not control on the outside. And instead, she devoted all of her training to focusing on being at peace and still on the inside. And once she learned that, she was unstoppable. World record after world record started falling when she learned to find peace in the last place that you'd expect to find it. The psalmist is telling you that sooner or later the waves are coming. And when they do, if you're always trying to bring stability to your life by overpowering everything on the outside, then you will never find it, friend. He's saying to us, the waves are coming. So let me tell you the secret to being underwater. You have to be still. Even when it feels like you're being pulled deeper and deeper. You can find a peace in the last place you'd expect to find it. But you have to be still. And of course you think, why stillness? Why stillness? It goes against every impulse that we have. There is nothing natural to us that says, life is chaotic, I should probably just sit and be still. Why stillness? It's because in stillness, it's when you just stop and allow life to be a mess for a second without trying to fix it or handle it. Instead of fighting by taking matters into your own hands, stillness is how you actively remember that you need a God. It's in stillness that we actively remember that our welfare is not dependent on our ability to face our problems. Stillness is how we lay aside all our petty fantasy notions of our own power. And we rest in the power of God. He's telling you that stillness is how you find God in your problems. And yet, isn't being still so hard when life is chaotic? Why is that? It's because when we're still, that's when we realize that the real chaos isn't out there somewhere. The real chaos is in here. And it's at this point the psalmist presents you with a question. What have you allowed to set the pace of your life? Is it your problems or the presence of God? If you want to find that kind of stability, then the psalmist says, be still and follow me. Be still and we will find God. He starts by taking you to another world. He says, be still with me. Be still with me now. 
be with me tomorrow when you choose to take an extra 10 seconds before you get out of your car to go into your office. Be still with me on Tuesday when you come home to chaos. Be still with me when that next wave comes on Wednesday. He says, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Even though his worst nightmare may be coming true in this world, he's still, and he remembers that there is a world beyond his wildest dreams that is unmovable and unshakable, where the waters do not overwhelm, but they are subdued and they flow in peace. Why does he start here? Why is he asking you to follow him there? It's because fear and anxiety narrow your gaze to where all you can see is your problems. And so the psalmist is reminding himself and reminding us that this world is not all that there is. His problems, your problems, do not encompass all reality. His situation, his circumstances, your situation, your circumstances do not tell the full story. He's thinking beyond the claustrophobic troubles that he has in this world, and he rests his mind on another, on that city that dwells in safety where the waters bring joy. Why? Because God the Most High dwells in the midst of her. It's his presence that gives her stability. It's his presence that makes her incapable of being moved. It's his presence that gives her perfect peace and strength for each new day. But notice the psalmist doesn't talk about that like it's some distant fairy tale reality. He says, this God most high, the Lord of hosts, is with us. He's with you. He is an immovable fortress. And he's saying that if God is with us, God is with me then I can be like that city where the peace and stability of that heavenly city can fill my heart even as the waves come crashing down all around me. The psalmist stops and he is still and remembers that God is with him, but then he remembers what God Most High has done. He says, remember the works of the Lord your God for a second. Remember the utter desolations that he has brought on the earth. He breaks the bow, he shatters the spear, he burns the chariots with fire. He's using Exodus language because even the psalmist has to remember that somebody else has been here before too. He's remembering that moment when Israel was trapped between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army that was coming after them, and they had nowhere to go. When the people were so afraid, with no swords, no spears, no chariots, no power, and no way out, and they cry out to Moses that they are going to die. And what does Moses say? He says, fear not. Stand firm. 
See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians you see, you will never see again. For the Lord your God will fight for you. You need only to be still. The psalmist is remembering the first lesson that God taught his people when they were afraid. Be still, for the Lord your God will fight for you. And if God is with him, then why would his story or yours be any different? Why would God fight for him or you any less? Why should you not be still? What have you allowed to set the pace of your life? Is it your problems or the presence of your God? The psalmist tells you there is a stability that can only be found in the places that you least expect. But you have to be willing to be still in order to find it. You have to be willing to lay aside your power and all your desire to control all those waves, and you just have to let them come and be still and know that he is God. And maybe there's a part of you that thinks this sounds like a coping mechanism. Like this almost is just telling you a, a quick little stop and count to ten life strategy. Or a breathing exercise to help you remain calm in moments of distress. Or maybe not. Maybe he's telling you how to embrace the only power that can overcome and subdue evil. Because Jesus had to walk this same road. Jesus laid aside his power when he could have uttered a single word and changed everything around him. He could have fixed it. But instead he entrusted himself to the power of the Father. By what? By being still. By being still. He was still when this world threw every single wave it possessed at him. In Gethsemane, when Jesus was with his disciples, they saw an army coming for them too. Peter was afraid. So he decides to try and deal with it and make it go away. He draws his sword. He's ready to fight, but Jesus stops him. He says, put your sword away, Peter. Do you not think that I could call 12 legions of angels in an instance and make all of this go away? But be still, Peter, and watch the Lord your God fight for you. And it doesn't look like fighting, does it? Why? Because <laughs> he was still. Jesus was still as they bound him in chains. And the waves of powerlessness carried him away like a sheep led to slaughter. Jesus was still as the wave of accusations washed over him as they falsely charged him in a mock trial. He was still as the wave of pain 
and hurt, crashed down on him when they ripped out his beard and punched him in the face. He was still when the wave of humiliation washed over him and they ripped off his clothes and they taunted him. He was still as the wave of torment swallowed him up and they whipped him over and over and they smashed a crown of thorns on his head. He was still as the wave of shame washed over him as he stood before the mob and they yelled, crucify him. He just stood there and was still. He was still then when he laid down in the waves of suffering and he let them nail him to a cross. He was still as he hung there and all the waves of our sin and rebellion pulled him deeper and deeper into the depths. And he was still as he allowed that final wave of death to wash over him. And he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Though the earth gives way, though the waters rage and foam, I will not fear. I rest in your power to deliver me. And three days later, that power pulled him out of the depths. Is being still such a small thing in your eyes? Friends, Jesus didn't just die to be your savior. He is also your stability. Who says, be still and find me. I've been here before. I know what you're going through. And I know it's hard. But be still and know that I am God. For the glory of Christ and the life of the world, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would calm the chaotic waters of our hearts. We ask that you would lead us beside the still waters of your grace and your mercy. We ask that you would help us to stop spinning out and just to be still to fix our mind upon you, knowing that you are the God who wants to be found. Would you help us to give up these notions of control and power that we try to wield, but it's like a cardboard sword against the armies. We ask that you would help us and teach us to rest in your power to remind us that you have put your name on us in our baptism. And that the waters of this world could never wash us out of your grasp. Help us to find you. Help us to see you. And help us to find the rest that comes when we do. We ask that you'd meet us at your table that you've given to us to give us the strength to remind us of these things. We ask all this in your name. Amen.